How is everybody? So if you're new to the church, um, we typically go through whole books of the Bible. We are in the book of Revelation right now, and we've done three lessons. We did an intro, chapter one and two. We'll do chapter three next week. And of course, we're taking a break this week uh, to do baptism, which um, fortunately for all of you, y'all got baptized on the way in, so we're good. I don't even have to teach this lesson, right? Everyone's good. That was a bad joke. I, I used it last night too. No one laughed. You guys are gracious, so thanks. But um, so I do this lesson three times a year, and, and this is something I've been teaching for a long time, and some people wonder why I teach the same lesson three times a year, and, and every time I teach it, I ask myself, should I revamp it or should I do something different with it, and, and I don't. Uh, I change the pictures out and put new pictures in, but, but that's about it. And the reason why, well, and, and I'll explain to you why we do this three times. One is I want people to have a proper understanding of what it means to be baptized. This is a huge part of your walk with Christ. If you choose to be a Christian, baptism is a big deal, and I hope to show you that today. Um, we hope to give you multiple opportunities a year so people can get baptized anytime at our church. If you give us an hour's notice, enough time to pull out these fancy tanks that we use and fill them up with water, that's facetious, right? They're, they're like little ponds that people put in their yards. But anyways, if you give us an hour's notice, we can fill those up and we can baptize people. But we have these specific weekends because I want to tell you about it. I want to show you biblically why this is a big deal and hopefully convince you that if you haven't been baptized or maybe you're baptized as an infant or a small child and it wasn't really your choice, I want to educate you and hopefully God will speak to your heart and you'll, you'll take this step. It's a huge deal. And so it's a very important lesson. And, and honestly, baptisms, in this guy's opinion, is probably the most clear way to see if the church is growing really growing. I mean, this church is about 4,000 people, and that's a wonderful thing. But if we're growing with a lot of people, but we're not baptizing and making new followers of Jesus, we're not really growing the way we should. So we need to make sure that people are giving their lives to Christ and they're publicly professing this. And baptism is the most quantifiable way that we can kind of see if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church. So again, my goal today is this. And isn't this a great picture? This is my buddy, Joel. He runs a ministry called Endure Athletics that helps homeless children. He and his wife, and he's a wonderful guy, got recently baptized uh, sometime in the afternoon. Um, it was a bunch of us just at work around here and got to baptize him, and that was pretty amazing. But my goal here today, again, is to show you some stuff about baptism from the Bible, to pray with you, and to give you the opportunity, if you have not taken this step, um, giving you the opportunity to do this. We have clothes, we have towels, we have information to give you. We will get information from you to make sure no one slips through the cracks. The water is super warm. If you got baptized at worship night, it was not super warm. And I think people are getting agitated with me because I want to talk to people when they're getting baptized. They got into this like ice cold water and I'm like, hey, tell me about you. And they're like, they just want to get baptized and get out, right? So today though, perfect waters for conversations with Corey over here. But so <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk about where we're from, right? Hopes and dreams, all that stuff, if you want to get baptized today. So um, anyways, I'm going to stop blabbing. You should have notes, handouts in front of you. Everything's going to be on the screen. If you have the Experience Community app, everything is on there as well, okay? So I'm going to pray. It'll be brief. Um, we'll put the baptisms on the screen so you can sit there and watch people get baptized. And um, we'll see what happens, okay? All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. 
We thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for our worship night the other night, God. Thank you, Lord, for MTSU being open to that. Lord, thank you for the thousands of people that came and worshiped. Thank you, Lord, for like what Kyle said, we've baptized 50 plus so far this weekend, and we still have this service and next service to go, and that is wonderful, God. Thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray today, God, that, that you give us ears to hear what you're saying. Give us eyes to see what you're doing, Lord. Let us be open and honest and receptive. Father, we pray that you bless every church in our community, every great nonprofit, Lord, and God, especially keep your hand on us this morning, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you don't know anything about baptism, baptism is our symbolic and public display that we have chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is where the Bible says we take on a new persona, the new man, the new woman. This is where the Bible says we are brought to life. Now, this is the way that I think of baptism. The most simple way is baptism is similar to my wedding ring. This is not my marriage. This is not my marriage. This is a symbolic thing that I am taken, that I am married. Baptism is not your salvation. It is symbolic of the fact that you are taken, and we are married to our, our spiritual husband, Jesus Christ. It is a response to our salvation. That's what baptism is. Baptism identifies us as Christians. It is the most evident part of being adopted into the family of God. Now, it should also mark a turning point. When we become a Christian, different choices that we make, different things we decide to do, kind of are our, our, our stages and our evolution towards being more like Jesus. This happens when we accept Christ as our Savior, right? There's kind of a turning point. It goes a little bit further when we repent for our sins. God, I'm so sorry I did these things. I want to turn from those. We turn a little bit sharper. And baptism is yet another step in that. That when we publicly say, hold me accountable, I'm going to follow Jesus, that's another huge turning point in our walk with Christ. And it hinges on our obedience to do what he tells us to do. Now, here's what I want to do today. This is not how I normally teach. I usually go verse by verse, right? That's what, that's what I typically do here. Today, I'm going to jump around, and I'm going to do this in the hopes of showing you some evidence as to why you should consider baptism. The first one is, is that Jesus Christ set the example for us. When Jesus came onto the scene, the ministry scene, he was 30 years old. And when he came onto the scene, one of the reasons why Jesus came was to shake things up and give us kind of a new way to be reconciled with God. Before the New Testament, the way that humanity was reconciled with God was pretty arduous. And so what people would have to do is they'd have to get an animal, they'd have to kill it. And I don't know if anyone else struggles with blood. I probably couldn't do this. My wife would be the one doing the sacrifices. So you'd have to take the animal, You'd have to kill it. You'd have to pour the blood on the altar, burn certain parts. They would eat certain parts, discard certain parts. It was a process. And this process did not eliminate sin. It rolled sin back. It pushed it back. That's why when you read about Christ taking all the sin of humanity from the past and the future and in the present, all those sins had been accumulating over time, this debt, and they were not washed away yet. Jesus was going to come to set the stage to eliminate the debt, to take away the sin permanently. Now, this road was kind of blazed by a guy named John. John, the Baptist, who was known for baptizing people, would go out to the Jordan River, 
and he was out there day in, day out for months. They say John baptized somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 plus people. Dude must have had like guns, right? Like these huge biceps and triceps, just baptizing people all day long. One day, Jesus shows up to the Jordan River, goes into the water, approaches John, and he says, I need you to baptize me. Now you can imagine what John's response was, right? John, knowing who Jesus is, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, looks at Jesus and says, I can't do that. You should be baptizing me. Like, I can't even touch your shoes. That's how low I am compared to you. And what Jesus' response was is extremely important. Jesus said, it should be done because we must carry out all that God requires. This is going to be the new way of doing things. So John agrees. He baptizes Jesus as Jesus comes up out of the Jordan River. It says the sky opens up, the Holy Spirit uh, descends down like a dove, and then something very, very important is spoken. They hear the voice of God that says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, there's a couple of things we learn from this. One of them is Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He hadn't done anything wrong. He didn't have any sins to wash away. The reason he got baptized is God wanted his son to be the example of how we should respond when we become followers of his son. We also see this. Jesus will not ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. That's pretty amazing. We also see that baptism brings God great joy. If you get baptized for no other reason, know that it brings God joy. So the first piece of evidence is Jesus got baptized, and if I follow Jesus, I should do what he did, right? The second piece of evidence is that there is an activation that takes place in our life when we are baptized. So a relationship with Jesus, contrary to how we kind of live sometimes, a relationship with Jesus is a process. I keep using the word evolution. I don't mean that in any scary way, like, you know, stay in your seats. That we evolve and we start to look more like God. And this is a process. It takes a long time. This process of evolution towards God is called sanctification. That over time, we are set apart for God to use us. And choices that we make during our relationship activate promises that God has for us. Now, I know all of you are scholars in the book of Acts because you were here when I taught the book of Acts. It's hidden in your heart. You remember it word for word in your mind. It's good. In Acts chapter 2, <laughs> we talk about, and the Bible tells us at the birth of the church, that when the church was born, Peter tells the people to repent, to be baptized, and if they will be obedient, if they will repent, and if they will be baptized, Peter says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be empowered by the Spirit of God to live in a way that God wants you to live. Now, if you've never heard this story, when the church started in Acts chapter two, roughly 2,000 years ago, when the church started, there's about 120 people in this upstairs room called the upper room, that's what we call it now. There's this 120 people who were praying, they were fasting, they were waiting on God to send the Holy Spirit. They didn't even know what that meant. One day as they're up there praying, the Holy Spirit came on them, right? They were all filled with his spirit. They began to speak in tongues and languages that they shouldn't have known. They spilled out onto the street. All the people, you know, who were, you know, walking out of Starbucks on their way to work are seeing all this crazy stuff. That's, they didn't have Starbucks back then. But they, they saw all these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, 
speaking in languages that they shouldn't speak, praising God in the middle of the street, and they're like, whoa, followers of Jesus are drunk this morning. What is going on? This is crazy. And Peter, the first leader of the church, gets up in front of this massive crowd of people in Jerusalem, and he says, they're not drunk. They're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with them. This is the Spirit of God working through them, and our prophets told us that this was going to happen. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, our prophets said, one day God would pour out His Spirit, and that's what's happening. So after he told them this and explained this to him and talked about Jesus, they asked Peter, well, what do we do? We believe you. Now what do we do? And this is what Peter said. This is vitally important in the Bible. Peter said you need to repent first. Ask God to forgive you. Then be baptized. And if you're obedient to God through repentance and baptism, he says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says it's a promise. It's for you. It's for your kids. It's for a bunch of people who haven't even heard this lesson yet. They were the first, right? But he said this promise extends all over the globe and they don't even know it yet. And Peter said, so he continued to urge them and talk to them and preach to them. And look at this, this is very important. Those that accepted the message about Jesus, those who, this is our vernacular, accepted him as their Lord and Savior. What did they do? They were immediately baptized. That day, about 3,000 people, imagine 75% of our church in one day, all getting baptized. There's probably 1,000 people in this room, three times that, right? All lining up to be baptized. Pretty neat stuff. So here's the thing. It's not that that water is magical, but when we are obedient to God, and he says, repent and be baptized, when we're obedient, that's when the Holy Spirit is activated in our lives. Now, if you're in here and you're a Christian that's kind of afraid of the Holy Spirit, oh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Well, it's one-third of God, so I think we should talk about it. And we don't need to be ignorant to God. We don't need to be ignorant to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, don't be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. That means that we need to read. We need to be open-minded. We need to pray that God gives us the gifts that he wants us to have because these gifts elevate the church they help each other and they help us grow closer to God. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit, just be educated about the Holy Spirit, right? So another piece about baptism is that obedience activates the Holy Spirit in our life. Another thing, and this is probably the most plain one, is Jesus simply tells us to baptize. We all have this little streak of rebellion in us, some a little bit more than others. But because we are fallen humans, we always want to push back, right? I don't know, has, has anyone had the, you, you always swear you're never going to be the parent that says, well, because I told you so, then you become that parent, right? And anyone else go through that? Uh, I will always thoroughly explain it to my children. No, you reach a boiling point where you're like, I don't care if you understand or not, just do what I tell you to do, right? I feel like God reaches this boiling point with us sometimes. And though I cannot explain everything about baptism, I cannot explain to you exactly why God wants us to do this, but I can explain to you and I understand clearly that if God says go and do, that we are called to go and do. That is imperative. One of the most important instructions that Jesus ever gave his followers at the end of the book of Matthew, right as he is going into heaven, he's resurrected, he's about to ascend into heaven. The last piece of instruction Jesus gives his church is this. He says, go Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teach them everything I've taught you. And remember, I'm with you. Very simple. Make disciples, 
baptize them, and continue to teach them. Now, if we say, well, God, do we have to do that? Jesus also said in the book of John, he says, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And the great commission was a command. Go, that's a command. Go make disciples, baptize, and teach. And so very simply put, God told us to go do this, so we need to go do this. Another piece of evidence about baptism is the symbolism of baptism. Now, this is where it resonates with a lot of us, I think. Baptism is symbolic of us dying to an old self and coming up out of the grave, out of the water, as a new person. Now, if you get baptized today, that doesn't mean when you walk out the door that there's going to be like a huge rainbow sunshine, your mortgage is paid off, and you can eat donuts all day and have a six-pack. That's not what that means, right? You're still going to get fat if you eat donuts. You'll probably still have a mortgage, and it'll probably still be raining. So all those things will still be going on, but those things are not affected by the fact that you have been changed. You are different. You're still going to have struggles. You're not going to be perfect. But when we go into the waters of baptism with the right heart, the Bible says that when we come up out of that, we are no longer slaves to our former selves. We have God's help. We have God's guidance. Look at what the Bible says about this. Paul says, are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Here's the symbolism. We go down into the water, death, burial, right? Therefore, when we're buried with him in baptism, in order that Christ was raised from the dead from the glory of the Father. So when we come up, it's like when Christ was risen from the dead. And it says when we do that, we can walk in a new way of life. We can live differently, not because we're good, but because we have the Holy Spirit that is good in us. We can live a new way. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll be joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self is crucified. Look at that verbiage. The old you isn't waiting around the corner. The old you isn't put in the closet just kind of waiting to come out later. The old you is violently murdered. It is dead. It is put to death in order that sin's dominion over the body be abolished. It's gone. Again, that doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that you can go to God, ask for forgiveness, and you can gravitate and start to live more like Jesus. And baptism is a part of that. Now, when we baptize you here, we always pray Jesus's name over you. Now, let me be clear about something. I come from a denomination that thinks there is a certain formula by which you have to be baptized. And if you don't baptize people in that exact right formula, the baptism is null and void. It's no good. Now, Romans chapter 8 tells us that that is garbage when it says that no one can pluck you out of the Father's hands. So if you go into baptism with a proper heart, the genuineness of your heart, nothing I say can thwart your salvation. It's between you and the Lord. I'm just the guy dunking you, right? Now, after saying that, though, the name of Jesus is vitally important. As you are being baptized, there is only one name under heaven and in earth that can save your soul, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand whose identity and whose name you are taking on. You are taking on the name 
of Jesus. Let me pause here for a second and tell you a little personal story about me. When I first became a Christian in 2002, it was late 2002, I became a Christian. I was living in a little bitty house and uh, I was struggling big time with depression. I had just tried to commit suicide for the third time, became a Christian. I still struggle with a lot of depression and loneliness. My wife and I were separated at the time. It was a dark time. And I would sit in my room late at night and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to pray, any of that. I would call my mother up in St. Louis. I think she might've been living in Chicago at the time, but I would call my mother. I'd say, mom, I don't know what to do. And she would say, Corey, just speak Jesus's name until he gives you peace. And I would sit in my dark room by myself and I would just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I promise you, God would always give me peace. That name, it's like when you call on a loving father, when a child cries out to their dad, a good dad comes. And that's what God does. That name is so unbelievably powerful. If you don't know what else to say, if you will just sit there and say, Jesus, I give you my word, he will show up and he will help you call out on his name. The Bible says this, Paul wrote this, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. I love this. There is no Jew or Greek. There's no American or Mexican or Canadian. There's no slave or free. There's no rich or poor. There's no man or woman. You are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul was hitting at there, just like today, we have this identity crisis in the United States. We have this identity crisis globally, right? Who are you? I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm white, I'm black, I'm male, I'm female, I'm rich, I'm poor. No, 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 if you follow Christ, you're a Christian first. You identify with Jesus first. And we keep trying to find our identity in so many things and God is screaming out, you weren't made in the image of money or the Democrat party or Republican party or the color of your skin or your nationality. You were made in the image of God. That's where our identity is found. And we need to remember that. And if we will put that first, everything else will start to work itself out. Everything else. That's why we pray the name of Jesus over you. The last question, and it's always the biggest, right? This is the one that everyone wants to know. Does one have to be baptized to go to heaven? Now, I'll just be honest with you. I, I hate that question. I don't like it. All throughout the New Testament, there's kind of a formulaic response to Jesus. Either people deny him or they accept him, and there's a couple of things that they always did in the New Testament. The first thing they would, they would do after accepting him, Jesus is the Savior, is they would repent. All this garbage, right? All this sin, all these bad things we've done. God, I'm sorry, and God takes that. And then the second piece of that is we have to take steps to, to not do those things anymore, right? So if you're sleeping around with a bunch of dudes and, and you know that's wrong, you need to take the steps to not sleep around with a bunch of dudes, right? So like that's part of repentance, turning the course. The other thing is they would have a genuine faith in Jesus. Wait a second, Corey, I thought that was the first step. No, no, this isn't just believing that God is up there. This is saving faith. Saving faith is a relationship with God. It's praying to God. It's reading the word of God. It's having dependence on him. It's leaning on him. It's, it's surrendering to him every single day. And then in the New Testament, there was always a common response when one became a Christian. They were baptized. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch. If you've never heard that story, one of the richest, most powerful men in his entire country has Philip riding along with him in, in his, his chariot. 
He's, he's riding out of Jerusalem and Philip is telling him all about Jesus. And in the middle of the conversation, I guess Philip told him about baptism. And in the middle of the conversation, the Ethiopian eunuch goes, ah, hey, there's some water over there. Everyone stopped and they ran and jumped out and they probably got into some really disgusting river or big puddle of mud or whatever they got into. And they found this, this disgusting body of water and it was instantaneous. Right when the Ethiopian eunuch had accepted Christ, he was looking for water. It was just an immediate response. And what baptism is, is it's the outward response to something that's already happened in here. It was saying to the world around you, I have given my life to Christ. Here's the thing though, that doesn't answer the question. It doesn't answer the question, will you go to hell if you don't get baptized? Now here's the thing about that question and why I hate it so much. If we start to comprehend just a little bit, if you are in this room and you understand that Jesus died on the cross just a little bit, if you've ever seen the passion of the Christ or thought about what it would be like to be beaten for hours and hours and hours overnight and then in the, in the early mornings be nailed to a hunk of wood and hang there for nine hours until you died, if you understand just a little bit of that and then if you understand that Jesus did that while you were a sinner, if we understand that, listen, and if we start asking God, how little do I have to do to make you happy, there's something wrong with this. Whether we, have to be saved, whether we have to be baptized to be saved or not is irrelevant. If we're looking up to Jesus and saying, how little do I have to do? Imagine if you did that to your wife. Hey, baby, I was just wondering, how little can I do and us still not get divorced? Eh? Let's see how that goes, right? And so if we approach our heavenly husband and say, what's the bare minimum I can do? There's a deeper issue with us. So here's the thing, when it comes to baptism or when it comes to anything that's in the Bible, instead of us framing our questions and our walk with God around what do I have to do, instead of approaching God, the creator who gave his son to die for us with the mentality of, eh, do I have to? Maybe we should humble ourselves and maybe we should really get in touch with him Guys, I'm not trying to manipulate you into baptism today, but if he hung on a piece of wood for nine hours, I can get in a tank of warm water for five minutes. Especially if Jesus set the example and did this for us. Whenever, whenever I got saved, I was 22 years old, about to be 23, and I'm not trying to brag on me, God pulled me out of a ditch. My third suicide attempt. God saved my life, literally. And not one time in the last 17 years that I've been a Christian have ever said, God, do I have to? I remember what God has done for me. And if God wants me to, to I don't know, something crazy, whatever it may be, start a church when I have no friends, right? I'll do whatever he tells me to do. So I wanna encourage you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and this is not a guilt trip. Listen, that's not how I wanna spend this. But if this one step has been something you haven't done, and I've shown you biblically that this gives God joy, this honors him, he has set the example. If you have not done this one thing, I just wanna ask you, why? Why? We have clothes, we have towels, we have information for you, we will get your information. Seriously, the water is warm. There's people who will pray for you. I have baptized thousands and thousands of people over the last nine and a half years, and I have not baptized one person that regretted it. Not one, not yet. 
So here's what I'm going to do. If you'll bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray for you. I could just make the argument that you're going to get wet here in a minute when you leave anyways, right? <laughs> so as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me, let me give you a little rundown. Up here to my right, your left, is Greg. If you are new to the church, if maybe you're not a Christian yet, but you're interested, you're curious, uh, maybe you have recently given your life to Jesus, but you don't know what to do next, come up here and talk to Greg. He can help you with, with anything you need help with any questions you may have or anything like that. Up here to my left, your right, if you go through those double doors, we have all size shorts, shirts, towels, we have information, everything taken care of for you. And then if you will, after that they set you up, you'll come over to my right, your left, we have two baptism tanks. If you don't want me to baptize you, you can baptize your children, you can baptize your friends, we'll let you do that. But I want you to ask yourself if you haven't done this, What's, what's stopping you? As your heads are bowed, there's also communion all the way around you. And, and all the baptism will be, baptisms will be up on the screen. So if you want to take communion, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, the elements are all around the room. You're welcome to take those. Let me pray for you. God, I love you, and I thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone in this room, Father, who was maybe baptized as an infant or baptized maybe in an age where it wasn't their choice, I pray that you just speak to their hearts, God, and Lord, um, gently urge them to, to do what you want them to do. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that's never been baptized, I pray that you speak to their heart, God, and Lord, just again, gently nudge them and show them what you want them to do. Lord, as we take communion today, God, Lord, let us remember your son that died on the cross for us, that loves us, God, that has paved a way for us to be saved and reconciled with God the Father. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone in this room, God, we thank you. We love you, God. Keep your hand on us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.